Happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to TRBM. I wanted to give you a quick forewarning. This episode is going to be very numbers-oriented. And if you ever check in on my Substack without getting an email in your inbox, you may notice that the content you're about to hear is already written down for you in an essay titled, Is Being a Bestseller Really This Easy? I believe that'll be the title of the podcast as well. There'll be two separate posts for it. One did not go out via email. That's the essay that I'm referencing. I just put it up so that you could actually read through, reference the numbers, and you can also look into the footnotes. I'm not going to reference the footnotes, but the footnotes can be important if you're the kind of person who wants to know where I'm citing my references. All of that is in the footnotes of the essay portion of this episode, which is, again, on my Substack. So you have to navigate there. I would encourage you to subscribe to the Substack when you're there. Uh, that way you get the emails about my twice-weekly podcast episodes. But the podcast itself will still be a direct verbatim read of the essay. I might riff. I don't know yet. I'm, I'm actually doing this live for me right now. So maybe I'll get to a point and want to riff and extrapolate and uh, whatever, jive a bit. But generally speaking, I'm going to just read this essay for you. Uh, it is also an interview with L.A. Dobbs, so I'm going to save all of the goodies for the actual reading. You can hear it, but if you notice, my voice seems a little less uh, shifty. It's because I'm, I'm reading shifty. Shifty sounds like shifty is um, you know somebody you don't trust. If my voice shifts less than normal, it's because I'm reading. I'll try to make it super entertaining. But again, remember, numbers. We are going deep into statistical analysis of advertising because that's what this episode is about. Is being a bestseller really this easy? Here's the spoiler of the whole episode. A, yes, it is this easy. And B, you have to spend money. That's the secret. Secret sauce. If you spend money on advertising, you're going to be a bestseller. There are some caveats, but we'll get to that. Um, as always, I would love if you would buy my books. That is a big reason why I make this podcast is so that you can be familiar with me, know the kind of person I am, have an understanding of my books, and give a give a try to them. I write right now detective mysteries. I write other stuff too, but the uh, Luke in Time Mysteries is about Detective Luke E. Mia, <laughs> Luke E. Mia, you know, like a cancer, and Lyle Kapuchnik, whom nobody can ever pronounce his name correctly, uh, and, and their struggles with a certain Marva DeLonghi. The first book in the series is The Nine Lives of Marvin Longhi. You can buy it on Amazon or my website, www.jodyjsperling.com. That's J-O-D-Y-J. Sperling is S-P-E-R-L-I-N-G. P is in Paul, N is in Nancy in there, okay, dot com. Grab the books. There won't be any links in the essay portion, but I will drop links for the books in the podcast version. If you're a little bit confused right now, don't worry. Just settle in. Enjoy this. This is TRBM. Thank you for listening. Have you ever listened to an author read in public and thought to yourself, smack my ass and call me Shirley? That was a good podcast. Well, then TRBM is for you. There was a brief period where I doubted my beautiful book covers. Doubt is a common side effect of floundering failure. During that period, I followed the advice of Steve, my advertising mentor, and searched Amazon for the best-selling authors in my genre. Remember this for later. A few of the authors in the top 10 made sense. I recognized the names, and you might too. 
J.A. Jance, Sue Grafton, David Archer. But there was one author whose books clogged the top ten worse than a Thanksgiving... Well, you get the point. And you might not know the author's name. She's L.A. Dobbs. Her books sat in the numbers seven, six, five, four, two, and one position in hard-boiled mysteries. Seven, six, five, four, two, and one. That is a lot of books in the top ten. Holy crap. Telling Lies, the number one book in hard-boiled mysteries, is number 294 overall in the Kindle store. Only 293 books sell more copies than hers as of this podcast date. And it's been number one for a while. I've known of her for a while. This is me kind of ad-libbing on the essay. But I've, I've been familiar with her for a while. And when I checked in as recently as May 1st, she was still holding steady at number one uh, in the category and number 294 overall. She bounces a little bit more in the overall, but typically it's going to be within the top 300. Okay, so using Dave Chesson's Kindlepreneur Kindle calculator, which I, by the way, interviewed him, and I have not released the podcast because it wasn't the most captivating conversation I'd ever had, and I think he kind of talked down to me a little bit, which put me off, but I still think I might release that at some point. So if you want to comment uh, on my Substack and let me know if you're just dying to hear an interview with him, I'll put it out faster. Otherwise, I'll get around to it. So, okay, looking at his Kindle calculator, we can project that Dobbs' novel is selling roughly 343 books per, are you waiting for it? Are you ready? Come on. Per day. 343 books per day. Okay, that just that one title, Telling Lies. 343 books per day. This might be a moment for you where you're feeling a little bit down in the dumps. I know I was the first time I saw it because... I can promise you I'm not selling 343 books per day with all of my titles. In fact, I'm not even close. My best day to this moment was 18 books in one day. So maybe you're jealous of that. Uh, Maybe you've doubled, tripled, quadrupled that, but almost nobody has sold 343 books per day at a sustained rate. All right. Before you are fully jealous... I want you to know that Dobbs also has five more books in the top 10 of my genre, Hard-Boiled Detective. That's good for number 642 in the overall store, as well as 838 and 958. Uh, In other words, L.A. Dobbs has four books in the top 1,000 overall of the Kindle store. But it gets better. Dobbs' best-selling bestseller came out in, what's it gonna be? 2017. 2017, that's six years ago. Her best-selling book, 294 overall in the Kindle store, came out in 2017, six years ago. I just want you to chew on that for a second. Holy shit. I try to be as clean as possible, but that is worth an SH bomb. (laughs) Okay, so let's take a little turn. Books are assets. Using Goodreads, we can determine that Dobbs last paid for an updated cover on Telling Lies in 2020. So three years ago, she updated the cover to make it a little bit more on trend. And there's only two editions of her book cover. So you can make a safe guess that her total outlay on the novel is about 5000 bucks or less. That includes covers, edits, proofreads, formatting, and design. Here's where we get into the real estate bit. I spend that much on each of my rental houses every year. 
and let's walk this analogy forward. I have a note or a mortgage on each of my rentals and pay between $1,290 and $1,450 per month. My tenants pay me a rent of between $1,500 and $1,700. No one argues that houses are assets. No one. But who treats books like assets? So let's set this down and return to it in a little bit. Here's my interview with L.A. Dobbs. I will try to do a voice. Remember from an earlier podcast, I'm not particularly good at this, but I'm going to give it a shot. So no judgments, or if you want to judge me, make it kind of light and fluffy in the comments. And we're starting out with L.A.'s response to me directly. Hi. Sorry it took me so long to get back to you. The answers are below. I wish they were more interesting, but it's really just lots of work and advertising, LOL. I got lucky with the ammo system, and pretty much all of my pages have gotten some profit, but some of them haven't been profitable enough to keep running. I'm still very much playing with it to see what's best. I think being able to sell to people who have bought from you already is pretty huge, though. Okay, here are the questions and answers. My question, you are among the folks to use Steve Peeper's Pipers, Piper Peeper, <laughs> Peter Piper Peeper, Pick the Pepple Picker Peppers ammo program, <laughs> and it's obvious the strategy works. How long did you take to figure out your sales page and turn your first profit? I worked in the system full-time for about three weeks before I started getting a small profit. Then, after that, another several weeks of tweaking and changing to get it to double my money. <gasps> Ouch. This is the interviewer just kind of expressing for a moment that I've been working on ammo for a lot longer and I'm still not profitable. Question number two. What's your pricing strategy for Amazon and how did you come to the cost per title you settled on? I try to price in line with other people in my genre. Sometimes, though, if the book is short, like some of my cozy mysteries, I go with a lower price. Question number three, do you like direct fulfillment or using Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other avenues for sales? I only sell ebooks in my store, so the ordering and fulfillment process is automated. I wouldn't want to ship out paperbacks or anything like that. I'm all about automation. I would say I prefer direct sales because you get the customer information and you make more if the books are priced the same as Amazon and others because no one is taking a percentage off the top. Question number four. You're number one in three categories on Amazon as of April 24th, 2023, for a book you published in 2017, yet you avoid podcasts and other media appearances. How is that possible? And do you view your path to sales success replicable? replicable. Do you view your path to sales success replicable? There it is. That series was really not selling well until I started to spend a lot on advertising. The series is not in the ammo system because it's in KU. It has a good cover and a, a decent blurb. The stories are decent, so people read through and onto other series under that name. So honestly, the key is just massive advertising to a good product. And question number five, are you earning a full-time living solely off your published books? Yes, and I have been for the last 10 years. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, and good luck with your ammo adventures, Lee. All right, so again, apologies. That voice made her sound like kind of like a, an old cat lady. I really promise I will get better at this, but I, uh, if you happen to listen, uh, Lee, 
I apologize. I know that you don't sound that way. And if you do, it's totally fine. <laughs> no, no biggie. It's, it's a great, a great voice too, also. Okay, so here are some of my comments upon reflection of reading that interview. There's a lot to unpack. Let me tackle my responses in order of importance as I see it. The entire series that L.A. Dobbs has KU exclusive is not in ammo, and those are the four books we looked at in the top 1,000. Her next most popular book outside the Sam Mason series, Mysteries, is One Lie Too Many, book one of the Rockford Security Mysteries. It sits at number 4,311 in the whole Kindle store as of the 29th of April, 2023. That's good for roughly 46 books a day. Now remember, the Rockford Security Mysteries are sold wide, meaning that it's everywhere, and she probably is using ammo to advertise for it. That's notable. I didn't put this in the essay, but that is notable because if she's not uh, selling it through Amazon, the fact that she still has a book in the top 5,000 on Amazon and she's not even advertising it there, but instead on Facebook, that should tell you the, the extreme power of cross-channel sales. Cross-channel sales just means you're advertising on Facebook and it gives you a boost over on Amazon. Um, so do note that. I didn't, I didn't even go into that in this essay, but she's not advertising that book on Amazon because she's advertising it through ammo and she's getting cross-channel sales. Vice versa for the other series, although it's KU-specific. So anyways, you get the point. Let's move on. With all of that in mind, let's go ahead and do a comparative analysis. We're getting back into the real estate question versus books, considering both as assets. And um, an asset is a property that can make you money and cost you money to acquire. Those are the two requirements of an asset. I didn't put that in the essay either, but just sit on that. It's a, a, a property, which a book's a property, that costs you money to acquire and makes you money to give away, sell, share with the world. Let me return to the real estate investing. Novelists aren't often math lovers, so I'll do the equation for you. If I charge $1,700 per month on a rental house that has a monthly note of $1,450, I'm left with $250 in monthly profit. If I'm a smart real estate investor, I set aside 90% of my profits for expense, expenses ranging from capital expenses to minor repairs such as a clogged toilet. Thanksgiving, remember, and taxes both property and income at the federal and state level. Many people rightfully praise real estate for its tax protections because I can take losses on depreciation, so it's a tremendous asset that almost anyone can afford to invest in. But consider this. If I buy housing traditionally, read ethically, quote-unquote, I will need a 20% down payment on the property. I'll also need another several thousand dollars for cleaning, repairs, safety for the unexpected problems. In the best markets in the country, that means I'll shell out roughly 30,000, excuse me, 33,000 per property I acquire. If your eyes are glazing over right now, please, please, please stay with me for just a bit longer. I promise the payoff is massive. Now, let's look at a book. We'll get nitty gritty with expenses, and I welcome you to comment on the costs I overlooked. Okay, you're going to need a laptop. 
and let's say you paid $869 for a good one. I have a link there in the essay that you could get a great Apple laptop, and this will come back. It's a great Apple laptop for under a thousand bucks. You'll need Microsoft Office for 179 bucks, though I think OpenOffice is better and it's free. So look into OpenOffice if you haven't already spent on Microsoft Office. It is just a really stellar product. They're always updating it, and you can get your .docx, your .doc, whatever you need, PDFs. It's all there. It's a great product, OpenOffice. Here's my pitch for it. They don't give me any money. I just love it. So writing the book costs in time, but so does watching Netflix. Zero dollars. When you finish a shareable draft, you'll need professional edits. I'm going to put that in at about $1,500. Some of you pay less, some of you pay more. If you think you can get by without professional edits, consider what would happen if you tried moving tenants into one of your rental houses without paying for repairs and cleaning. Nasty. Spoiler alert. It's not going to happen. You want professional cover design. I put in 200 bucks. Some people pay considerably more than that. Some people pay nothing. They might be married to a graphic designer, for example, but let's say 200 bucks per book. Finally, you'll need formatting and layout. And since I can get that with Vellum for a lifetime purchase of 249 on any Apple device, I recommend Apple products. Call me biased, but if you refuse to use Apple, add 500 bucks for formatting per book. At the outset, to buy an investment property, you've paid $33,000. By comparison for a book, you've paid $3,497. Fast math tells me that's just over 10%. Now you begin the hunt for tenants. This podcast would balloon into a book-length affair, um, audiobook-length affair, if I evaluated each component of the analogy between rental books, rental books and property, Blah. rental property and books. But let's get a fair framework of what we're comparing. In the beginning of a rental property's ownership journey, roughly 90% of the payment goes to interest. So with a note of $1,450, $1,305 of that goes to the bank. You capture $145. Or pretend you rent the home in the first month, you own it, which is rare, by the way, meaning you carried the cost of the first payment at least. Some people will carry as long as four months, uh, depending on the market and how many rentals are available, but that's definitely a cost, and I didn't even factor it in here. You take in $1,700 and use $1,450 to pay the mortgage, and you have a leftover sum of $395. Stock away 90% of that for future expenses, and you have $40 to live on. That recurs monthly for the foreseeable future, giving you an annual profit of $474 per property acquired. If you treated a book the same way, what results might you expect? So we're going we're gonna to spend on it like it's an asset, okay? I'm going to use myself as an example. Later, we'll talk about Ellie Dobbs, and uh, you'll have to understand there's a trajectory from being me to being her. I don't know when exactly it happens, but I'm going to give you a look at both pictures, and you can start to make some informed decisions. Um, if you can't tell already, by the way, I'm not in the essay at the moment, but if you can't tell, this is a subject that I am super passionate about. I think that too few people understand that books are a business, and if we treat them as such, and we, we do the same things with them that we do with other assets, we'll get similar outcomes, but I argue possibly better. Ooh, okay, let's keep with the, 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 the podcast now. So I'm paying $30 daily to run a testing ad on Facebook. Since I've never hit a prolonged stretch of profitability, I've never scaled my investment, which... In other words, some people are paying many hundreds or even thousands of dollars per day to advertise on Facebook. But to get there, you have to be profitable, okay? So my ad budget 
per month is $900. My cost per acquisition as of this writing on the 29th of April, 2023, or as of this podcast on the 30th of April, whatever, 31st, there's only 30 days in April. Don't comment below on that. I could erase it, but I'm not even going to. $38.25 across all ads ever. My acquisition price is $14.99. That means at my current rate, I'm earning back $353 per month. You can do the math on that. It's ugly. I'm bleeding money. Um, and it gets worse before it gets better. It gets worse. You can hear the train. I live in a small town. You've heard it before. Let's move on. With just ads versus revenue, I'm spending $547 a month on my books. Suppose that held still over the first year, I'd have spent $6,564 to acquire 300 readers with contact information. So I have 300 readers with contact information. I don't actually like tie that particular one up with a bow, but at that rate, I have 300 people who are proven buyers for my work. And email campaigns of proven buyers tend to be pretty good response rates. But let's say 10% of them buy uh, per email campaign I send out. We'll just set this aside. I have a captive audience that already bought my stuff. And at least 10% of them love it. I think more than that. But anyways, just keep that in the back of your mind that I'm building that list and that very few of them are going to leave the list after they read the books. And many of them over different periods when they're ready for a new book and my email hits them at that right moment are going to buy. So I'm building an asset within an asset class. I don't even know what to, to compare that to, but this is all off script for the essay that I wrote in the podcast that I'm delivering. So the equation gets a little bit worse. I've already spent $6,564 to acquire those 300 readers. Now, add to that the cost of the ammo program. So I'm learning from Steve Piper, and that's not free. He charges me $97 a month. I gladly pay it. The cost of Mouseflow, which is a program that helps me to see how visitors to my website are, are interacting so that I can optimize the website and get rid of any kind of uh, like flow issues and more people are going to click on the buy button. That's $30 a month. The cost of Unbounce, which allows me to do some A-B testing and smart testing with AI and all kinds of different things. That's where I host my website, that's $129 a month. And the cost of Shopify, where my books are because I can't sell them exclusively on Amazon, I have my own shop. I get 97% of all sales that go through Shopify, but I do pay $39 a month to have a Shopify store right now. And that, that cost can go up as you have more needs. Um, eventually, I'll have bulk emailing costs. But right now with 300 people and no other books, I'm actually pre-selling three of the books that are in my offer right now for that $14.99. There's no need to email people at this point. So I'm literally just building a list of people who have bought my books. And once I have book five ready for them, I'll send that out as an offer. Some of them will buy it, blah, blah, blah. That'll cost me when I start emailing bulk like that. But right now, nothing. If you're cringing, just hearing the costs, I'm cringing right there with you, okay? We're cringing together. This isn't cheap. Nobody said it would be. At the current cost, add another $3,540 to my debts per year. All in, on year one, I'm on pace to be down $10,104 on advertising and $3,497 to publish the book for a grand total of $13,601. That's year one. I'm going to spend $13,601. That's after I factor in all of my gains on selling my books. So this is not cheap. <laughs> Did you think it was going to be? 
I think I did. I, I wouldn't have started this. I'm just like you in many ways, except that I was also desperate to never step foot in uh, an office again. I really don't want to be a W-2 kind of person ever again. You can have your own opinions about that. My family has called me selfish for that standpoint, um, that, that vantage, that idea. I'm rambling. <sighs> Meanwhile, though, let's look back at the real estate investment, something that just about everybody in the world respects. I had a loss in year one of $32,526 for a difference of $18,925. So, ouch. I paid $18,925 more to be a real estate investor than I did to be an author. I don't know when this, this thing turns around. I didn't even do that analysis in the essay, and I'm not going to do it in the podcast. But there's a point where you have a big enough backlist that things turn around, and that's what we're going to get into here. So just a few thoughts on comparing apples and oranges. Inevitably, you're going to run into friction when you compare asset classes. There are international cash cow podcasts like Bigger Pockets that focus on just the subject. I love Bigger Pockets. I was a daily poster on Bigger Pockets when I was a real estate investor, sharing my knowledge with people as I gained it, just kind of like I am here in the book world. I share what I know as I know it. Things may change as I learn more, but generally speaking, I really love sharing what I'm doing with you. So, if you're enjoying this podcast, give it a rating, give it a review, share it with a friend who's a writer, especially this one. Share it with your family. If your family is like, hey, you're not seriously uh, going to try to be a writer professionally, share this episode with them. Let them see that this is a serious thing and that people are making serious money doing it when those people treat it like a business. And then give them a finger and walk away. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't give your family members the finger. That's not cool. Support them. Love them. Love your friends. Support writers. Okay. Oh, I'm not going to try to factor in all the tax code advantages or disadvantages of real estates versus books. There is better tax advantages for real estate than there is books, but I'm not going to talk too much about it. Um, you can study that on your own if you want. Google will be your friend and the rabbit hole will consume you fully if you let it. Just start typing this stuff in, looking up Google. Uh, in Google, find answers to your questions. It's unreal what's out there. So for the purposes of this podcast, let's stick to the outlines we know. Number one, every time you want to buy a new rental house, every time, you're going to need roughly $33,000 in cash. How long is that going to take you to save up $33,000 in cash? I don't know. You can crowdfund. I, that's, I, I absolutely did that kind of thing. And, and if you want to know how that's done, listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It's great. Okay, number two. Every time you want to publish a new book, you're going to need roughly $2,000, okay? And and the reason I say 2000 and not that initial figure is because once you bought the computer, you have it. And how many books can you write on the same computer? Quite a few, I'm assuming plus all of the software, blah, blah, blah. Okay, number three, real estate investments tend to profit immediately following acquisition, but you're already in the hole, okay? So they profit from being in the hole. Business investments, and this includes things like restaurants and uh, accounting services, blah, 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 tend to take losses immediately following acquisitions. Think employees, think advertising, think customer acquisition, all of those kind of things. You're going to lose money from the moment that you decide I'm starting a business books are a business. Number five, both real estate and business investments have profit trajectories that tend to increase over time. The question we have to ask then is what asset does better than the other over time? And does that even matter? If you want to be a novelist, if you are a novelist, 
Wouldn't you prefer to write novels and earn a living on them? And why can't you have both? The latter question is the right answer, because we live in a world with right answers, and if you don't acknowledge that, it doesn't change the truth. There is right and wrong. <laughs> Full stop. I don't know. Okay. Ellie Dobbs at Projections. Let's return to her. She wrote her reply to my questions. And let's look at the economics based on what she said. Consider her top-selling book is currently earning $1,198 daily. I don't know what she's spending on ads yet, but as far as I'm concerned, that's a huge chunk of cash. Most of us are not making $1,198 a day. But, and this is off script, if you are making $1,198 and you're spending $1,999, it's as if you're losing a dollar a day. You have to decide if that's worth it and how long you can do that. But losing a dollar a day, unless you live in Africa is what I was going to say. I actually just whispered it. Anyways, um, most people in the world would love a dollar a day. I acknowledge that. But what can I, I can't. Oh. Okay, this will be a little off script. I talked to my wife about this when we were walking the dog yesterday. Whatever the cost L.A. Dobbs is paying for advertising, she is a an engine fueling multiple employees, another train, fueling multiple employees at Amazon. She's paying the salary of Amazon employees by advertising through the Amazon platform. She's paying Facebook employees salaries by advertising on Facebook. So one person is probably responsible for five salaries of people uh, here or in other countries. That is a kind of an amazing thing that she's creating a, a minor little economy by advertising her books. So from just that perspective alone, she is actually supporting human thriving. I think that's cool. You might hear me saying like Reaganomics, trickle down, blah, blah, blah. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. I think that there are times when, when a capitalist behavior harms people. I worked for companies, W2 companies that got so crazy about profitability that they forgot their employees. And those were horrible jobs. I did not enjoy them in the end. And uh, I was either fired or left because they were so mercenary. I understand that when it gets out of control, it's really, really bad. But L.A. Dobbs is not doing anything bad. She's writing literature that is entertaining her readers. 343 of them, at least every single day, are being entertained by her work. And she's spending enough money that she is uh, supporting, let's say, 5 to 10 employees. She is a 11-person company writing books. Those people like their jobs. They get their enjoyment. They support families. She's an ecosystem, folks, Okay. And you can be too as an author. So think about that. And I want to get into these numbers now. So let's dive back into the podcast, the essay material, because I think what you're going to see is that her profit margin is actually really narrow, but it's enough that it's game-changing amounts of money for one person. And that, I think, is the ethical way. Because remember back to ethical real estate investing, I guess here's a, one more quick aside, is that there is a faster way to become a multimillionaire uh, as a real estate investor, and that is to find people who own properties and are in distress. So they're about to go underwater on their mortgage, they cannot pay, and you take advantage of them by buying their property at pennies on the dollar. That's unethical. I'm sorry if you're the kind of person who does that. I know a lot of people who go to church and praise Jesus Christ Almighty and yet take advantage of people who are in hardships. And their excuse for it is, hey, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Or, hey, they needed that money and I was able to provide it for them. But listen, 
what you could have done that would have been ethical is paid for the actual value of the property and then you would have gotten them out of a serious hole. But <laughs> who am I to judge, okay? Really, I am an awful person. If you're doing things ethically, your profit margin is going to be a little bit smaller. Ellie Dobbs is doing things ethically. Her profit margin is narrow, but hey, this is how capitalism can work where everybody thrives. Okay, so where was I? Oh, if I go backwards a little bit, I apologize. Uh, I took so many tangents. Consider her top selling book is currently earning her $1,198 daily. Um, yep, I did read that. Dobbs has openly said her books sell well because of her hard work and money spent on advertising. It's that easy to have a bestseller. Just spend a lot of money advertising and have a great product and work really hard. She's putting in enough money that readers are seeing her books when searching for hard-boiled detective fiction. What's her return on ad spend? We don't know. So we'll have to use industry averages and project forward. Amazon reports that average click-through rate is a mere 0.45% with a conversion rate of 9.79%. That means that for every 1,000 impressions served, 45 people will click on the ad. And of the 45 people who click, four will buy. The average cost per click is 91 cents. So I'm going to do a little bit of fancy math for you, and you'll see that if L.A. Dobbs is running average campaigns, something tells me she's probably well above average, but if she's running average campaigns, she's spending $31.85 to earn $13.97 for sales at $4.99 each with 70% royalty because these are Amazon books. And I don't know about you, but with numbers like that, I couldn't afford to be a full-time author. So what's going on that Dobbs and many other authors can earn a full-time living on their books and consider advertising a good expense? To explore the most likely answer, we'll need to bulk our numbers. Earlier, we saw that Dobbs' top-selling book is averaging 343 copies sold per day to be at the 294th position overall in the Kindle store. If Dobbs is spending about 32 bucks per four sales on ads, according to the math, she's spending $2,731 on ads daily. $2,731 on ads daily. That's daily, folks. She's spending $2,731. let us revise how many employees she hires because the average person in America makes, what, $50,000 a year? That might even be high. I don't know. But that's not – this is a small amount. 100 bucks a day? What? I don't know. She might be hiring as many as 27 people just in Amazon alone. I, it's, it's insane. It's a lot of money. Just do the math. Think about it. It's quite a bit. Okay. We've already determined she's earning 1198 for that book but we know she's not taking a daily loss and that's likely due to many factors, but sell-through of her series is the biggest reason. Sell-through just means you read book one and you're like, I got to know what happens in book two. I got to know what happens in book three, all the way through book six in this case. The average sell-through rate of a series is 50% from book one to book two. This is a footnote that I'm going to let you in on. Her actual, if you want to run the math right now, go look at her Amazon page. The number of reviews that she has on book one compared to book two is 50.44%. So it's right in line with the averages in, in sell-through. That means that half the people who read book one are like, I got to know what happens in book two. Okay, and then what happens from from selling that? Uh, let's get into okay. So telling lies uh, into keeping secrets is about fifty percent. A little over three quarters of people who buy 
Keeping Secrets Also by Exposing Truth, and so on through book six. You get an 80% sell-through once you've locked people into the series by having them buy book two. Each subsequent book is about 80% sell-through. That makes sense. People who buy book two like the series, like the voice, like the character, want to know how it goes all the way to the end. Some people don't love book six. Some people stop liking a book three, but they keep buying because they're like, I love this character and two books I'm really, really in. So it's about 90, or excuse me, 80% sell-through on subsequent books. Dobbs is most likely selling 919 copies of the Sam Mason series every day. So that's uh, the book the, the book series that starts with Telling Lies, the one she sold 343 copies a day on. Uh, through all six books, she's most likely selling about 919 copies of the Sam Mason series daily. At $4.99 and 70% royalties, she's earning $3,210 on the series per day. Full stop again. <laughs> That's just insane. $3,210 of book sales per day for a total net profit of $479 per day. $479 per day. If the Sam Mason series were her only books, she'd gross. You ready for this? Prepare yourselves. $174,859.45 per year for a six book series. That is after we have factored in her advertising costs. She's going to pay taxes, a lot of taxes on that $174,859.45 because she's not sheltered like she would be with real estate. But nonetheless, holy guacamole, if you can't live on a salary of $174,859.45, you've got expensive tastes. The truth is Dobbs has a pen name and numerous other series she's written. <laughs> double it double it for every other series uh you know it's unfathomable amounts of money to me frankly at some point uh if you're a baseball player if you're uh cody bellinger for the cubs who's mashing this year go cubs go um you earn more than that but but for the average person listening to this podcast right now we're talking some real coin so all right we're coming to the end we're we're here at the end of all things let's wrap it up if we average out Ellie Dobbs' earnings per year per book, each book brings in $29,143. Compare that to a single-family real estate investment property. Even at the halfway point of a mortgage, most people get a 30-year mortgage. So we're talking 15 years into the mortgage payoff of this property when you're getting 50% of the equity, instead of paying that 90% to the bank, 50% of it's actually going back in your pocket. Um, and we're going to factor in 4% inflation and 50% rise in property values, which by the way, that's very, very historic highs. 50% increase in property values year over year is insane, but it has happened. So I went ahead and threw it in there. You'd earn $18,252 per house. Just fast math tells me that's about $11,000 difference. A book is $11,000 more valuable. So even after you take your tax hit, what do you think is a better asset, a book or a rental house? This all depends on how you treat it. You hear about people called slumlords. Uh, they don't clean their houses between new tenants. They buy the cheapest crap they can. They don't fix things up. They ignore tenant complaints. You know what's funny is that those people actually make less money than the people who have a really high quality product. And the same thing is true of books. 
So I want to leave you with the question. I don't even put this in the essay, but I want to leave you with the question. As a writer, are you more like somebody who has high value assets or are you an author slumlord? We'll talk to you again on Monday when my good friend Michelle Rado interviews me about the eight ball magic of Susie Q. Take care. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?